I have been troubled by mathematics most of my life. Math has been difficult for me. I've taken lots of math classes. I, I took even calculus when I was in high school. You know it's bad when you're in a math class and they give you the answers. You gotta come up with how they got them. I knew I was sunk when I finally got to that class. But my only C in high school that I remember was ninth grade geometry. I just, I've, I've always been challenged by the math thing. Now, when I was 18, there was this new thing called the lottery, and friends of mine said, you should, you should buy a ticket, you could, uh, you could win. And I didn't really know much about uh, my, my chances of that, but I thought, I'll buy a couple tickets, splurge, you know, buy three tickets, you know, what the heck? Really, really give myself a, a good shot. I did not win at all. And uh, yeah, shocking, right? Shocking that I didn't win. And I began to realize the reason for that is that the odds of winning are very, very small. That's why when they used to do advertisements for the lottery, they would say at the bottom, not for investment purposes. Because they understood the odds are super, super small. You ever heard of the Powerball? Anybody heard of the Powerball? It's uh, every once in a while you'll see that, they'll get, there'll be a run-up and there'll be all this money and everybody flocks to go buy these Powerball tickets. Well, according to the website Investopedia, the odds, well, I saw it on the internet, so it has to be true. The odds of winning the Powerball are, are like one in 300 million. That's very, very small chance of you winning. Now, it's hard to get that number in perspective, right? So I thought I'd share some things that are more likely to happen to you, but also pretty unlikely. For instance, you have a 1 in 2,320,000 chance of being killed by lightning. Again, your odds are better, is what I'm saying, getting struck by lightning than Winning the Powerball. You still don't believe me? I'm going I'm to keep going. It's just what I do. You have a 1 in 3,441,325 chance of dying after coming in contact with either a venomous animal or a venomous plant. Once again, better chances there than winning the Powerball. And, drum roll, you... You, thank you. You, you, have a, you have a one in 10 million chance of being struck by falling airplane parts. You're welcome. You didn't even know you had to worry about that. Now you're like, why did I go to church today? I gotta, every time I'm walking around town now, I'm going to be like looking for, again, even there, better odds of that than winning the Powerball, but people do it all the time, don't we? We play the odds. No matter how small the chance is, we play these odds, even if it's a slim deal. Well, why am I talking about this? We are we're in this series called Foretold. This is the last installment of it, and we've been talking about all the statements and prophecies, predictions that were put into motion, recorded, before Jesus ever came on the scene in the first century. Many, many predictions. Over 300, some scholars will say a lot more than that. 
But uh, there was a researcher uh, who, who was a, a professor at a college in, in California, a guy named uh, Peter Stoner, and he was the chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy at this particular college. Uh, that college is still there, by the way. Uh, and he was passionate about these prophecies. He thought, this is interesting. It kind of was one of his special projects, I guess. He was bored one day, I don't know. But this was his project. He was going to look at these prophecies, and he found out in his research, and this is kind of shocking, but of the, say, 300 prophecies of Jesus, this one who was to come, the odds of someone matching even eight of those is the odds of one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, that's a, a big number. I don't know if that's a kajillion. I think that's the mathematical term for that many zeros, kajillion. But that is pretty slim odds that somebody's going to be able to, to just do eight of the 300-some. And Jesus of Nazareth, in the first century, born in Bethlehem of Judea, grew up near Galilee in the first century. He fulfilled all of them, his birth, his life, his ministry, the end of his ministry, death, burial, resurrection, all of them completely lined up. And the odds of that happening are astronomical. But Jesus crushed all those odds. And he came. And, and that, that's why it's kind of important to care about this. There's, for me, at least a little bit of credibility, at least a lot of credibility, that these things were predicted way before. And what does that tell us? That, that informs our faith that God had a plan before creation began. He had a plan before it all happened. He knew what was going to happen. He, it's baked into creation. How this was all going to lay out. The, the deal is, before creation, he saw us and he loved us. God already made a decision to be behind you. He already loved you. You started out your existence loved. That's a big deal. Before you took your first breath, God already loved you. And it didn't matter. When, when sin, betrayal, death, evil got in the way, God had a plan. He had a plan to, to reconnect to you and to me. Jesus' against all odds mission was fulfilled. And he fulfilled all of those predictions. We've talked about it a lot. The, the story of Jesus is sort of this this, this meta-narrative of the Bible. We talk about the Bible as one book, but it's really more like 66. It's more like a library or an anthology. But cover to cover, it tells the story of God's great love through Jesus. It's this overarching narrative. And it was always God's plan, baked into creation. So maybe that's the best news you've heard today. You're loved. You're already loved before you ever had your crazy high school and college days. You were already loved. In fact, you were loved all the way through that. God had a plan before creation began. And the odds of one coming that would fulfill all those 300-some prophecies is just astronomical. But Jesus crushed the odds. So we conclude our series today foretold. Certainly we want to celebrate what happened in that first century. But there's something that happened in that first century that reverberates to today. That Jesus isn't just this cute story that we leave in history. That actually he's got things he wants to do for us now. Do you know that Jesus is still alive? And he still wants to bring hope and light to the world. And, and he's going to do that through you and me. 
That's still his plan. That's still his mission. We get to be part of that. So instead of just keeping looking in the back, looking backward in history at this cute little story, actually Jesus came for us now. And he still wants to bring good tidings of great joy that will be for all people, even to now and to not yet. Because one day, we know that Christ is returning. Yes, he brought a great light in the first century. But we could use some more light now. He's coming. He will return. And we can be expectant of that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, kind of looking for now and what's ahead in, in the message today titled, Christ is Returning. And Pastor Ben, I'm glad you have joined us today, whether that be in person or online. We see you. It's glad, uh, to, glad to be part of this together as we lift up the name of Jesus like Christ followers do all over the planet and even all over this town, that we lift up the name of Jesus on the first day of the week. And, uh, and so let's pause for a word of prayer and then get into our, our, our message today. Father, we, we thank you for your love and faithfulness, that you loved us before we were ever born, and you had a plan, and that, Father, we can be part of that. We can be part of that mission of love. We can, we can continue your, your rescue mission of love and reconciliation and hope to the world. Help us to do that even as we face down Christmas 2021, that, Lord, you'd help us to bring a little bit of light, a little bit of your kingdom to every family gatherings that we're going to have in the next week or so. So, Father, uh, speak by the power of your Holy Spirit and help us, Father, to be challenged and, and encouraged today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible or a device, open to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. When you look at the New Testament part of the Bible, which is, uh, starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fact, uh, Pastor Andrew last week did a great job of explaining kind of there's different camera angles, if you will, different, different viewpoints as you see the, the, the life of Jesus recorded. A lot of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they focus a lot on that, that last couple weeks. And I'm guessing that's probably because it was pretty traumatic for everybody involved. But we do see the life of Jesus recorded in those Gospels. It's one of our, our key resources of, 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 of what we know about Jesus. And, and all four of these speak about, yeah, this crazy, amazing, miraculous birth and this, this, this life that was so different than, than people had ever seen before. And, and we get to meet Jesus and we get to meet his parents and we find out he had a family, like he had, he had siblings, he had sisters and brothers. And we find out he, he was a, a day laborer, a carpenter, stonemason. He, he worked hard with his hands. He was a blue collar guy. And he lived this amazing life, did amazing things. He started his ministry. And all these great things are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Packed into all those stories, there's a little glimpse of something that's pretty powerful. And you may read right over it, but John 3.16, which is a familiar passage for many of us. You know, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son, depending on how you memorize it, right? I, I memorize it in King James English, but I'll try to... For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son... That, that whosoever what believe in him should not perish, die, but have life everlasting or, or everlasting life. You see, that last phrase is just put in there. That would have been a kind of a unique idea that actually Jesus came to liberate and, 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 and to free us from sin, but there's a sense of a, a life everlasting. There's a sense of eternity that begins to, to make us question, what is that all about? That, that we're, we're called to, to, to make Jesus Lord of our lives now, but there's something coming 
There's sort of this expectation built right into that very famous scripture that there is an everlasting, there is a life that never ends. And just a little bit of glimpse of that, and I want you to hold on to that. So in this series, Foretold, as we were preparing for this, our, our, our preaching team got together and we did a bunch of Zoom calls and kind of worked on this together. And we discovered that actually Jesus himself preached this series. Well, no, he didn't have the, the graphics like that. He didn't have this up. You know, he wasn't doing the PowerPoint thing. But he actually did preach this sermon to a couple of disciples on a little road called Emmaus. So if you got your Bibles handy, Luke chapter 24 and uh, so what's happening here? So it was a big weekend. Jesus was put to death in, by the Roman authorities, and, and certainly the Jewish leadership were, were cheering him on as he was being killed. He dies, and then a couple of days later, a couple of gals go to the tomb, and they realize the stone's been rolled away, which is curious, and there's no body. There's no Jesus in the tomb. He has risen from the dead. They go back and start reporting what happened. You know, the, everybody's in an uproar. They're just not sure what's going on. This all had happened this, this weekend. And, and so a couple of disciples that were trying to process this and they didn't really understand what was going on, uh, they start, they're just walking. You see these two people walking and Jesus kind of walks beside them. I'm not sure how he made his appearance or if he was just like, pretending to walk the other way. I'm not sure the circumstances, but Jesus joins these two disciples on this road. And they're walking, and, and for some reason they don't recognize it's Jesus. And so Jesus is like, hey, guys, what's up? What's happening? How was your weekend? You know, did you catch the game? Whatever they might have talked about, small talk. And they're like, no, can you believe this? This, this guy named Jesus who was like, and, and I'm sure Jesus is like, oh, really? Huh, interesting. Did he hide his scar? That's what I want to know. How did they, you know, he... They're having this conversation, and they're kind of going back and forth. And finally, I love this, Jesus breaks in. He, he, can't, he can't stand the small talk anymore. And in 25, verse 25 of Luke 24, it says this. He said to them, Oh, foolish ones, <laughs> this, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus preached this series to those on that road to Emmaus. Walked them through, showed them how it all fit together. Kind of put all the, the pieces together for, for them. Remember, the religious leaders of the day, they, they had all the puzzle pieces these 300 things floating out there from the scriptures, but they never quite, or many of them at least, were never quite able to put it all together. And here Jesus kind of walks them through. Here's how it all works. See how that all worked together? And, and, and so they get a chance to, to hear from Jesus. It was all planned. God had a plan from the beginning. So that, as we've been going through this series, one of the questions that we keep asking is, why... Why does Jesus' arrival and, 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 and all that, how, how does that help us now? How, how does that help us now? How does it help us in the future? What, what does this all mean? Why does, why does Advent, Advent matter? Why, why is this such a big deal? We've been asking that the entire series. And we've been kind of forced to realize that 
for too often, for too long, and even Christ followers have done this, we sort of treat this story as a cute little kid's story, and we have our little nativity scene, which is horribly inaccurate for the most part. But anyway, we have this, camels, they're not even the story. Anyway, so we have this thing that we get out every Christmas time, every December, and it's like this thing that's just frozen in time without it really meaning anything for us today. When Jesus said his last words to his disciples, he was taken up from them in a physical body. He is still alive. And he still offers hope and good tidings of great joy to the people in your life right now, for you right now. He is still here and active and wants us to continue his good mission until, until he comes back. He is still with us. And so my only big idea today is that he is still king of the now and not yet. He is king. And so the question that we've been asking is, are we living like he's our king? Are we living like that? Are you living like he's your king? Because kings call the shots. I realize that we don't grow up with kings and queens. I mean, they have them in England, but come on. You know what I mean? We don't grow up in that situation. So the idea of a king kind of dictating how things work is, is a little foreign to us. But in the first century, the early church understood that when they said Jesus is Lord, that could have been a death sentence for them. Because at the time, the king, the emperor, saw himself as a god. And like, you better answer to the Caesar as Lord. And the early church say, no, 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 no. Jesus is Lord. Is Jesus your king? And is he the king of the now and the not yet for you? Jesus' lordship meant for the early church and for us that we live a new way to be human. Jesus modeled that for us. And so then we, when we say yes to Jesus, we're following him. We're following in his way of life. That was a new way to be human. What does that mean, Ben? What does that mean for us now? That means we have a role to play in his kingdom. And that means we produce fruit because we're connected to the vine and we watch how we walk and we live with expect ex expectation. How do, we, how do we live now? How does, it, how does it work for us now? Jesus came. He was the, 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 the bringer of all things, a game changer. And how does that match what, what we live today? That means the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and what? Self-control. This is how we live. And so when you're producing that fruit, it's like a glimpse, a glimpse of the kingdom for here and, and, and a reality not yet. We begin to bring little kingdom principles and ways to live right now. So in your family gatherings this week, in your work life this week, in your recreational life, you bring a little of the kingdom with you. You bring a little of his light. It's almost like we're, we're as one theologian called it, like little Christ. We bring his good news to the people in our lives and at work and in the places we go and our family endeavors. We bring Christ with us. That's the new way to be human. That's what we do now. We love our neighbors, as hard as that is. We, we choose compassion 
We're generous. Uh, when we could take revenge, we choose not to. This is the way to be human now in Christ. That's the new way that Christ brought. So when he came, he ushered in a brand new kingdom. And when we say yes to Jesus, we live out that kingdom right now. Because one day we will step into the not yet. New creation, new heavens and earth. And that's going to be even more so of what we're already practicing right now. That's what we ought to be about right now. The early church lived with that expectation. They lived with the expectation, hey, he is coming Again, he'll come again, but right now we have a a way to be human. That meant the early church did things that were radical in their Roman society. They would not attend gladiator games. They would would actually save children who were left on their doorsteps to suffer the elements because it was perfectly legal. If you had too many mouths to feed or you just didn't want a certain child, you could do that, and that was legal. So early Christ followers would say, no, we'll, we'll take him in. They would do radical love things like that. They would wade in to plagues that were killing people, and they would wade in to help. This is a new way to be human. Radical love. That's the way we live now. And we have an expectation of one day, Jesus is coming back. So Ephesians 5 says this in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is how we live now. To, to walk is wise, not unwise. How's your, how's your walking this week? Uh, were you walking wise, unwise? Have you been foolish? He says, hey, don't, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. He's, he's called you to do things. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't know what the will of, will, will of the Lord is. Well, yeah, you do. Love, joy, peace, patience, producing fruit, connected to the vine, walking with Jesus, walking wise, not unwise, is how we live now. R- making the best use of our time. You waste any time this, this week? Anybody waste any time this week? We redeem the time. That means we don't know how long we got. And so we redeem the time, expecting but living now as in the new humans. And Jesus' lordship will continue into new heavens and new earth. He gave us that glimpse in John 3.16 of life everlasting. And there's going to be a new heavens and new earth. But remember, the early church, when they prayed, they would often use Jesus' prayer, his model prayer. Our Father, what is it? Our Father who is in heaven, praised or hallowed be your name, if you memorize it in King James, hallowed be your name, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. So the early church lived with expectation of a not yet, but they also realized we, we're bringing heaven to earth right now in the way we live, in the new way to be human. Like our Christ, we get, to, we get to bring a little heaven right here on earth when they're kind, when they're just, when they're gentle, when they're generous. Bringing heaven to earth. But there will be new creation. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know. Some of you have been anticipating that new heavens and new earth. And I don't know what it's going to be like. But I'm pretty sure we're not going to be floating around in little diapers on clouds strumming a harp. I don't think that's what new heavens and new earth is going to be like. I think we'll actually have some cool stuff to do. I mean, think about it. Before, before the big fall happened in Genesis 3, what were Adam and Eve doing, the first humans? What are they doing? 
They're, they're doing stuff. They're naming animals. They're kind of managing. So there's stuff to do. New heavens and new earth is coming. We're going to be able to step into an eternal realm with a physical body like Jesus' body was physical. Now, hold on to that. I know some theologians want to pick apart this, but the idea is Jesus left the planet still as a body. Physical body. His, his body was resurrected. Now, it was a glorified resurrected body, but it was still a physical body. And we, too, will be raised, if, we, if we're in Christ, we're going to be raised like he was with this new... Now, I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know at what stage of my life I'm going to be... I'd prefer maybe in the 20-somethings. I don't know. The theologians have debated on that one. But we're going to get this new glorified body like his imperishable, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, imperishable, not able to perish, and then also incorruptible. 1 Peter 1.3 says, we have been born into a living hope. We say yes to Jesus, we're born into a living hope. It's not a dead hope, it's a living hope. Romans 6, I want to read this to you, starting with verse 5. For if we have been united with him in in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Lots revealed right there. But when you said yes to Jesus, you went down in that water. You were buried. You're dead to the old way to be human. And when you come out of that water, you're raised to the new way to be human. And you've actually now been set free from any slavery to sin. Now, it doesn't mean we'll not screw up and mess up, and we, won't, we may have some work to do uh, to, to be walking in step with the Spirit, but we have been declared set free from sin. Free. We no longer have to do those patterns. And we might need to get some help along the way and and confess to one another, encourage one another, change our habits, things like this. But the new way to be human is we are freed from sin and we get to have a resurrection like his. So we have this as an expectation. And for many of us, that's good news. Some of us were born with a different set of cards we were dealt, right? Some of us have had chronic illness from, from day one. Some of us had bad eyesight. I mean, I had glasses when I was two. I realize that's not the worst thing ever, but they were annoying, okay? Some of us have things that, you know, we can't wait to one day have that glorified body. There's going to be something powerful about that. And God's got things he wants us to do. But remember, before creation began, he had a plan. And you started this world and this life loved. And that's powerful. We have an expectation. I want to read a passage to you now that I know is a bit controversial, but I'm going to read it down because I think it says some important things. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 is where I'll start. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who had fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. 
Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I'm encouraging you, you're encouraging me with these words, that we will get to be with him forever. There is an expectation. So we live now. He's king now. And that's not going to change when we go to not, not yet. He's still king in the not yet, in new heavens and new earth. We live now like we're going to live then. Both the now and the not yet. He's the king of both the now and the not yet. The early Christians, when they would gather, they would remember these things. That they had a role to play right now, but they also lived with expectation. In fact, one of the big things that the early church would do, they would sing to each other. They would say phrases to each other. We have some of those glimpsed in the New Testament. We have some bits of hymns that they used to do. But one of the things they used to say to each other was this phrase, Maranatha. Maranatha. You know what that means? Lord, come. Lord, come. We're ready, Lord, come. Come back. We're ready. They live with this expectation. In fact, some of the early, early church creeds, even the Apostles' Creed, have that baked in that they live now in this new way to be human, but they were ready for an expectation of what was to come. And the Apostles' Creed ends with this phrase, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. They live with expectation, but that didn't, that didn't sort of take them out of the game for what's happening now. They lived prepared for what's ahead. Despite all the odds, Jesus kind of crushed the odds, right? Despite all those odds, he came with his mission. And his arrival and his work and his life, death, burial, resurrection, these are things we celebrate at Christmas. But he brought in a kingdom. He started a kingdom then that he invited people to, to be part of. And you and I, when we say yes to Jesus, we're part of that kingdom, both now and the not yet. He ushered this in. So as we gather this week and we're with family and all of that, my hope is that each of us would bring a little of that kingdom reality to those gatherings. That we would bring a little light, a little hope, a little joy with us, a little patience with us in these gatherings. That we would show a little kingdom light in every place that we go. As we await Jesus coming back, we have a mission now that we can bring a little of that kingdom with us wherever we go. So we can look at each other and we say, hey, are you following Jesus today? Awesome. Maranatha. Lord, come. We live both now and the not yet. I want to pray with us here in a second. But uh, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never said, hey, I want to be part of that kingdom, you can do that today. We can pray with you. We can help you take that next step. But for many of us that have said yes to Jesus, we take his light everywhere we go. We take that little bit of kingdom, that new way to be human, everywhere we go as we live now and we're ready for the not yet because he's the king. He's the Lord of our life now and the not yet. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and faithfulness, your mercies that are new every morning. And Father, we know that you are powerful and mighty and you are the king. You were, you were born a king. You lived as a king. You died as a king but rose again. Father, this was all your plan. And you want to be in a relationship with us because you already loved us from the beginning. Thank you that you had a plan before creation began. And Father, help us to remember today that you still can do immeasurably more than any of us could ever ask or imagine according to your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.